Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Tales by Firelight. Tales by Firelight is a podcast to accompany the podcast A Crack in the Plan. This is week two of the Emerald Company. Falcon was noticeably absent, as all those who'd come to Fern's Rest for safety feasted on a meal of lamb, root vegetables, and too much wine, Coranderic's favorite meal. When they had all made their way down to the beach for a final farewell, Marion asked them all to turn their attention to the lighthouse that to this point had been left unlit. They watched a fire grow in the lantern room, and a figure emerge from the base with a lantern held above his head. Falcon made the lonely descent to the beach. As he approached, he could be heard wailing in a loud voice a song of mourning that pierced them all. He knelt and broke the lantern, spreading the fire onto the funeral pyre and then stepping outside the half-circle of mourners, where he continued his airing of the company's shared grief. Marion stepped forward after a long time and began to speak. How long have we numbered your days by our side? For more than 8,000 days have we found ourselves bonded to you. And now we will face 8,000 more and more besides without you. With shortness of breath, you made us ponder and yearn for the beauty of our existence. We will not let your daughters forget you. They will always know their father's love for them. You have given us all a legacy to shoulder. And though we take it up with heavy hearts, we take it up nonetheless. Corandric Emery. You rare and beautiful soul, may you rest in the lands of your ancestors. May you sleep forever among the elm and the oaks of the highland you always ached to see again. Marion trailed off as Falcon's lament continued for a while longer. It took all night for the pyre to burn to ash. By sunrise, Marion stood alone on the beach. Her heart ached, and she was not sure any more tears could come if she tried. First Hollick, and now Corandric. She didn't think she could bear the weight of losing any more friends. She made her way back to the lighthouse and slept soundly all day. While she slept, the others tried to occupy themselves. Grayley and Alpha explored the orchards on the eastern side of the property and swam in the creek that ran through it. Dindal's mother, Muriel, busied herself trying to tidy the place and looking out for Albatross, who seemed melancholic. Falcon made himself scarce and left for several days, while Wizant and Two Stones tried to keep working out the magic that enabled the paintings to be used as viewports to other places, while Renfear busied himself with the upkeep of the property. When she woke the next day, she had Alistair draw a bath in the large copper tub in hopes that she could rid herself of the weariness that had seemed to settle on her. As she lay soaking, her thoughts returned to the two friends she'd lost and how they'd all been brought together. The roar of Estricus in full celebration seeped through the windows of the large tavern. On the balcony, overlooking the main bar, she sat with Hollick and watched the people below. You know, according to the locals, today is the birth of the king's firstborn. They say his name is Valentine, 
The name is Renoise in origin, a derivative of Valstanis. I believe he was the first true king of the Renan people, Marion was saying when she was interrupted by Hollick. Marion, do you see that gentleman in the corner, the half-orc? Hollick said, cutting her etymology lesson off early. Marion looked in the direction Hollick had indicated. Indeed, there in the northwest corner of the tavern sat a half-orc who was nursing his fourth mug of ale as he studied an assortment of loose papers and scrolls that he had arrayed around him. I think he's a shapeshifter of some sort. He's not a doppelganger. That lot, they smell like wet dog. But this one's different. It's not a spell. I could tell if he was using magic to disguise himself. I can't place this one, though. I want to meet him, he said, excitement tinging his voice. Marion watched as he disappeared down the stairs and reappeared in the tavern's main room. Hollick seemed to glide as he walked. There was a grace about him that separated him from any man she'd ever met. He was wholly other in every way, and it made her love him even more. After 20 minutes, she could tell the conversation was going poorly. And she stood to intervene, but stopped when she saw Niall walk in. He was going to be a problem. How the hell had he followed them here from Hallstatt, she wondered. She had to act quickly. She pulled the eight-inch rosewood wand from her boot and quickly cast the mischief spell she had been taught by a drunken bard who'd been trying to impress her. Suddenly, Niall... The two members of his entourage and a few unlucky patrons started giggling uncontrollably. That was all the cover she needed. She yelled Hollick's name above the din of noise, and they simultaneously cast Dimension Door out into the alleyway. They began to run and stopped several blocks away, panting heavily. Hollick smiled at her and grinned. He kissed her and they made their way back to the underworld. The roar of Estricus and Celebration had long faded as they lay tangled in each other's arms. She was nodding off to sleep as he played with the beads she had braided into her hair when he spoke. The half-orc is going after the amulet, just like we are. Alwyn was lying when he said we were the only outfit he hired. The half-orc, Corin something... He had maps of the warehouse district and a schedule of the guard rotation. Maybe we should just go for it now, he said. He rose and dressed, securing his sword with the yellow sash he never went anywhere without. She did likewise, making sure that she had the right tools to execute her part of the infiltration. The city watch that night was scarce, and they crept quietly to within sight of the large warehouse that they were going to break into. Unlike most, this one had a contingent of guards that had to be dealt with. Hollick spoke softly. Okay, so I'll go up top and deal with the three guards there, and then make my way in through the skylight. There's a door on the east side of the building, if you can get past the guards. Otherwise, I don't mind having this on my own. No, I want to help. It's a big warehouse. You're going to need a hand if this thing is packed like Niles' warehouse was. I'll be fine. Patsy's probably hungry, so she can help me with the guards, Marion said. Hollick actually laughed. <laughs> oh, those poor guards. Patsy is sure going to ruin their day. He kissed her on the forehead and slinked off into the dark. 
He would make his way to the south side of the building, make his way onto the roof, and kill the guards before making his way inside. As she saw him clear the roof, she made her own move towards the street-level guards. She got real obnoxious real quick, and the guards rushed to her, telling her to be quiet that she wasn't allowed to be near this private warehouse. She let them push her back 10 or 12 feet before she dug her heels in and proceeded to begin yelling at them. She cast Dimension Door a few feet behind them, flat on the ground, and pushed her way past. As she did, she pulled the necklace off that she'd been wearing, stuck her hand into the portal, and pressed the button that opened the small clasp, triggering the release of the creature inside. She ran the distance to the warehouse and pressed her back against it. As she did, a large gelatinous cube fell on top of the guards who had missed what she'd done. Immediately, they began to be consumed, (laughs) and she watched as the two men quickly died, dissolved by the creature. About that time, three other guards fell from the sky and landed with the sounds of multiple bones breaking. Patsy, her lovely gelatinous cube, began making its way to the new food source. She would let the thing feast and collect her on their exit. Hollick's signal, a three-toned whistle, caused her to turn and face the door that he was unlocking from the inside. When he opened... His face was covered in blood from a wound near his hairline. He had wrapped the yellow sash around it as they searched the warehouse and found the object. An amulet of platinum and a walnut and brass-banded box. Soaked and useless, Hollick tossed the makeshift bandage aside, and they ran outside to collect Patsy and towards the large posting board at the district's entrance that displayed a map of the district. Hollick quickly tacked the red pennant on the board, their prearranged signal to Alwyn, the broker who'd arranged the job, before disappearing into the night and heading back to the underworld. A successful job. They were to wait 24 hours after displaying the signal to make contact, and so they passed the time as lovers are wont to do. As the evening came, they took their dinner. While I ate, Hollick expressed unease, still not a fan that Alwyn had hired someone else as competition to do the same job. Something in his gut told him things weren't right, and he convinced Marion to scope out the rendezvous early with him. Hollick made them both invisible, and they came to a tavern operated by Alwyn in Port 3, called the Golden Goose. Invisible, they slipped past one of the goons that Alwyn hired to protect the place, and slipped into the small office area where he ran his little kingdom. They came into the room mid-conversation. Yes, sir. Sencha is still keeping an eye on them. They were still making quite a racket the last time he reported, but we'll know as soon as they come this way, said the greasy-haired lackey. Very good, said Alwyn, not looking up from the ledger he was pouring over. And what of our half-orc friend, Korandrik? Well, sir, Seabree says that he appears to be none the wiser that the lovebirds have already beaten him to the punch. He's still holed up in the old kingfisher looking over the information we gave him. You want us to cancel the job? Asked the greasy-haired man. No. I want you to wait until we hear from the happy couple, and then give the word to have the half-orc killed and torch the papers. 
Niall's boss hates loose ends, and we don't want that stuff getting found by the wrong folks, he said. Marion felt Hollick grasp her arm and move her out. He spoke and broke the spell. Damn my honor, Hollick said, frustrated. Babe, we're going to miss out on a nice payday to save this guy's neck. As long as we don't report in, this Corandric fellow stands a chance of living. We're going to take the amulet as our collector's fee, save this guy, and stick it to Nile, all in one fell swoop. You with me? He asked her. What a dumb question. Of course I'm with you. The two raced across town and made their way to a tavern called the Old Kingfisher. Alwyn's goon was easy enough to stop, and a few well-placed pieces of silver to some street tufts was enough to get them to start a confrontation with the gnome assigned to watch Corandric. My name is Marion. This is my partner, Hollick. Alwyn hired us both for the same job. And now that we have the treasure, he's out to kill you, and I don't know what he wants to do with us, but it can't be good. We're going to head to Oldham and lay low for a few weeks if you... But she was cut off as Corandric raised his hand and fired a crossbow. Both Hollick and Marion dodged the bolt and came up ready to unleash hell. But Corandric just pointed at the dead man on the floor behind them. You didn't get all of them when you sent the street toughs in. You should be more careful about your surroundings. I'll do you a favor and accompany you to make sure you're not ambushed, and then I'll depart, said the half-orc. Hollick just laughed. Marion awoke with a start as there was a knock on the door. She had fallen asleep, and the water had become cold. Muriel poked her head in the door and apologized for interrupting, saying that two stones had had a breakthrough and that he needed to see her immediately. She dressed in greens and golds and made her way to two stones' laboratory to see what he had figured out. That's the end of this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed, and I hope you will join us again next week.